with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Okay. Hi there. This is Blindsight. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and the program is produced from Audio Information Network of Colorado. I'm delighted to be here, and I have as a uh, person that I work with, but periodically he's been coming on as a guest So because we, we have such interesting discussions that we want to share with you, Jonathan Price, our producer. And today, uh, well, it's actually a follow-up to some discussions that he and I have had uh, on our own about making changes and what that means and uh, how we do it. And uh, it's particularly fitting that we do this the last week in January because the uh, mythological Roman god Janus is the, per- the one for whom the month of January is named. And he's very much uh, he's seen as a uh, god with two faces mm-hmm. and one looking back and one looking forward. And he, of course, is a representation of transition, which is what we're talking about. Looking back at the way things have been, hoping for the future or maybe dreading the future. So we'll be talking about that today and hope you'll enjoy this discussion. So I say, hello, Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Bill, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I'm in the midst of transition, actually, because uh, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of moving out of the uh, uh, pandemic isolation, which so many people have been, and I'm uh, biting the bullet and going to a conference and I didn't realize how out of practice I was in preparing for a conference, you know, with uh, hundreds of people right. and even thinking, how do I get around? How do I do this? And, and I used to do this with nothing. I mean, I wouldn't even think about it. But yeah, it's, it's these little, are different times. It's a little shocking when uh, you realize how far we've come. I mean, or I guess back to, I guess, is the right terminology um i mean the circumstances are a little bit different you know going you're you're going into a big crowd and you you don't know who has what and it's like still every once in a while every little cough and every little sneeze is like oh my goodness what do you have you know and you're just a little on edge but you know i think that uh most of us have you know kind of kicked that or and and you're right trying to get into something new when you've been yeah uh, for lack of better words isolated for the better part of two years and have not been, maybe you haven't even been in a large group setting for right. that long, almost exactly. three years. Uh, yeah, it can be a little daunting. But you see, the thing is, I want to be, look suave and sophisticated. <laughs> and... You, you, you need your uh, blue pinstripe suit. <laughs> right. 
Right, and, and I, your uh, and your your uh, uh, spats, your your black and white spats with the top hat and the cane. Right. Oh, absolutely. And a dancing dog beside me, who's never been <laughs> with me at a con- at a conference. I have no idea how that's going to work out. And are you taking your we, dog? Yeah, of course. I take well, him everywhere nice. because uh, for me to get around a building and so forth, I'm very dependent on him. Uh, keeping me from tripping over things and uh, right. trying to make. And once he gets used to the building, he'll. I'll be able to tell him where we need to go, and he'll. You know, if if all goes well, he'll be able to get me there. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So you know, but I keep my fingers crossed because this is a new thing for both of us working together and something like that. So these are changes. Mm-hmm. that I hope to make more of because I want to, as you say, get back to normal. But what's normal? <laughs> there, there, There's no normal. I don't yeah. believe there. If you're normal, you're probably the one that's crazy. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. But I think <laughs> the, the issue for all of us is saying, okay, this is January. I made all kinds of uh, resolutions. I want to change this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And yep. then the question is, how do we do it? How do we institute change? And what do we need? Now, uh, a comment you, you made one time when we were talking was about uh, gratitude for people who just appear uh, to help us in making whatever those yeah. changes are. And I think that's an important point. Yeah, I think when... When you allow people to help you change, uh, there has to be a humility in uh, being able to change. And and I want to back up and, and kind of define change. And is it something that you're doing for your life? Is it a small yeah. change? Is it going to the gym in the morning? Is it eating breakfast? Is it having tea instead of coffee? Or is this a, a larger uh, life change, like a move, uh, getting married, getting divorced, uh, how are we going to have kids? Do I need to start uh, an investment portfolio? Do like yeah. these are some larger life decisions and changes that not only affect you but affect other people. And when you are going through any type of change, I believe it's important to have uh, quote unquote your squad, the people who you are close with, people who are in your life to help navigate some of these things is incredibly important. And you see, one of the difficulties that uh, you and I are both males and we're socialized Mm -hmm. not to ask for help. Right. And this is one of the, I know uh, female clients have said to me, that's one thing that drives them crazy about their their spouses because they won't ask for help. They will... You know, there's a stereotypical husband who will drive and refuse to ask for direction to get where they need to go, (laughs) you know. Right. And and it's so difficult because it feels, I think, for some people, humiliating that they can't do something. Yeah, absolutely. I'm reminded of the I'm reminded of the episode of uh, Home Improvement where Tim Allen is is doing his little stand up show and he's holding up a sign that says if a man holds up a stop sign, it says stop. But if a woman holds up a sign, it says 
if you really knew me, you know what you should be doing right now. And it's, you know, to that point, it's, it's, we have a hard time asking for directions. We have, we're, right. we're a very black and white, um, gender when it comes to decision-making and changes yeah. and, you know, me in my life, I'm a, uh, make a decision and go. And yeah. that just, just choose and go and decide and then everything else will happen. And, you know, if you can backtrack on those changes or those choices, then, then you have that ability. But I'm not one to just kind of stand pat. I want to I want to make a decision and go for it. Right. And you see, one of the big difficulties, I think, when you develop blindness later in life is to switch from being, you know, the confident uh, may feel uh, switch mm-hmm. from the confidence of uh, oh I know where I'm going I know I can see where I'm going and so forth to the part of having to ask for help and that's just an adjustment in our psyche which I think is very difficult for uh, a lot of us both men and women uh, to to make that adjustment and say okay but it's okay for us to ask for help and in fact. One of the things that uh, I always let people know that the person who's being asked benefits because they get that good feeling from helping you. Yes. And so there really is a two-way street in terms of of, uh, how it's helping. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me ask you this. Why would somebody want to change something about themselves if they don't think anything is wrong? Well, you're right. And if you don't think anything is wrong, but you have other people around you who are pointing out, look, what you're doing is not helping. And which, again, you have to be convinced by people to change if you're going to do it. Because one of the things that's maddening for people Uh, For example, with the alcoholic, they want Mm -hmm. the alcoholic to stop drinking or at least to change his drinking, but he doesn't, he or she doesn't see if there's a problem. Right. And exactly. Change, change only occurs when we, uh, when we decide that we need to change. And I've had, again, I've had clients come to me and say, well, once we're married, I will change him or her. <laughs> yes. And yes. That is, that is yes. ridiculous. And I point out to them, I can't, I as a therapist can't change you. All I can do is invite you to change, show you how you might change, but ultimately you're the one that does it. I don't do it. I don't make you do it. I don't have that power. But the, the issue I, is I when, think when, yeah. Go for it. I was going to say, I th- I think for me the the issue of change happens when you realize that you may be either in the wrong or life has dealt you a difficult circumstance, mm-hmm. or you have you have been doing something that you either should not have been, or you uh, change change is usually preceded by a negative experience. Right. In, in, mm-hmm. in, in my life, particularly. Um, and so I, when I think of change, there's a lot of 
there can be a lot of heartache and pain with change, yeah. but there can right. also be a lot of freedom and release and health benefits to change. Um, well, I guess what's a good way to identify when you need change? You've already said that, you know, when people are telling you, hey, you may be an alcoholic if you have, you know, eight to 10 beers in a in the evening. Um, like, no, I'm totally fine. But how do you go about saying, oh, yeah, okay, I need to change. What are some of those next steps in changing? Well, at the change can occur from the, the person who uh, is inviting you to change and uh, explaining to you how, if they make that change, they will, things will be better for them. Not mm. as, you know, not say, uh, do it for me, because that really doesn't, doesn't work. But if you say, you know, if you do, as you say, stop drinking for a while, see what happens. For a lot of people, January is dubbed uh, alcohol-free month. Mm. And that gives people a chance to say, okay, how are things different? Right. If, if I want to change, I have to see some benefit to as Miss Piggy would say, moi, before <laughs> yes. I'm going to change. Right. I mean, that, that's human nature. Mm -hmm. So if I want to change, I need to know what the payoff is for me. I have to believe there's a payoff. Because right. there's, change, a, there's a natural consequence. Yeah, absolutely. And change is not easy. You know, nope. the analogy I use a lot with people is, and I'll ask you, what uh, sleeve in a jacket do you put on first, right or the left? Uh, hold on, let me think about this. I put on, I think my left, and then my right follows immediately after. Right. Now, you see, you had to think about it because it's so automatic. <laughs> right. And yes. if I were to say, if you decide that the left is the first leave you go in and i say to you for the next week i want you to make sure that you put the right arm in your jacket first how easy would that be uh for you to do well initially that'd be incredibly difficult because it's just one of those you know automatic things yeah. um but I think what is it? I forget. You have to do something ten thousand hours for it to become a habit, or ten thousand times, or yeah, something, something like something, that. Something yeah, crazy like that. To, you have, but you have to be very conscious of what you're doing until it becomes automatic, right? And you see, that's what we're faced with all the time. For example, we decide, okay, I need to lose weight. I need to go to the gym. Well, you're going to have to set out to go to the gym no matter what, for you know, before you finally get it. Right. Well, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, making really any change, regardless of what it is, can you talk about the, the differences between consequences, whether they be positive or negative? I don't think there's a, there's a, the consequence word in and of itself, we, we associate with bad things like, you know, I'm going to run out right, into the street. Right. The consequence, I get hit by a car. You know, usually right, we right. have a, associated with a bad thing. I have a belief that 
consequences can be either good or bad. They're just a reflection of the decisions that we made. Exactly. Exactly. when you make change, there's an element of that self-discovery saying, okay, there's something in my life, in my body that I need to fix. I want to be better at. I want to do this. I want to. It begins with that thought. So when you have that change, you better be able to accept the consequences, either good or bad, of that right. change. And right. can you speak to a little bit about the fear of not making a change once it's presented to you? Uh, let's say uh, uh, somebody says, look, if you stop drinking, uh, if you don't stop drinking, I'm leaving. Mm. If someone says, or if you, if you stop drinking... Uh, then it's going to be safer for you to drive. Those are two different, uh, two different yeah. things. One's real clear: I'm leaving, and then right. you decide what you know whether you want that person to leave. And it may in fact be part of the issue is you want the person to go, or and that's pr- pretty clear cut. And someone who makes a demand like that has to be willing to follow through on it. Otherwise, your credibility is shot, and the chances of changing the other person is not going to work. <laughs> but it kind of sounds like kind of sounds like you have to know your audience when you're making those kind of right exactly assertions. Well, you have to know that you're going to follow through because right. if the person believes you're bluffing, he or she is not going to change. Mm-hmm. But something like you're going to drive better. Well, what does that mean? What kind of uh, benefit is that going to be to me? Uh, you can also say, look, you, you have a DUI. The next time uh, it happens, you're going to go to jail. That's a pretty powerful incentive. Right. And, and I will tell you, I stopped drinking. Oh, it's now been about 35 years ago. And I stopped drinking, not because anybody told me, but because I had a blackout. Wow. Yeah. After a drinking bout. And I found out about it a couple of days when somebody told me I was at uh, at the party. He had uh, injured himself. And I was very, he said, don't you remember? You were so solicitous in helping me you know, uh, patch the wound and so forth. And I have Jeez. no memory of it whatsoever. Wow. It just you know, then that was it. That's a true blackout. You're up and around, but you don't remember any of it. Well, you better believe all the other times I may have tried to stop drinking had nothing as much as this impact of finding that I crossed over the line and had a blackout. Mm. And if I continued, yeah. there would be more blackout coming. So that's where the, the consequences were real clear. Nobody had to lay it out to me. I, uh, I had to do it. And I yeah. said, oh, yeah. Now, that's what I mean by real clear-cut consequences to me. Mm-hmm. And that motivated me. The same for smoking. I gave up smoking when I realized it was uh, injuring, uh, it was making my he- hearing uh, deteriorate. Oh, interesting. And as soon as I saw that direct uh, negative to my well-being, it didn't matter whether it's negative or positive. As soon as I saw that it was, you know, damaging to me, 
I toe the line. Now that changes for different people. I mean, right. some people may have taken more, but that's where I was. And that's an example mm -hmm. of consequences that I realized I needed to change. If somebody had said to me, you were in a blackout or something, oh, no, it, it didn't happen. I, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. The, <laughs> the other part of that blackout story was when I came uh, back into memory, my memory band was uh, uh, running again, which I remember that I was in an all-night diner have, getting something to eat, and it was New Year's Eve and an accordion player. They hired an accordion player to play old, uh, old Lang Syne. And I hate accordion oh, no. music. And that just said, <laughs> the blackout plus the, the accordion was enough. <laughs> that's not, that's not one of the memories that you wanted to have from your blackout. No, no. Wake up to an accordion player. <laughs> so I, but I, I love. I love when, you know, when we talk about identifying change, going through change, kind of accepting it, what do you think, what are some of the, uh, I, I'm not sure the right word, the, um, goodness, I, I really have no idea what the word is, when you are ready to make a change, how important what? is it to base it on either emotion or fact? Uh, I I think more than anything, uh, it's emotion. Because it's really, uh, you know, we talk about uh, feelings and having, uh, you know, people denying feelings. A lot of people just simply don't access their emotion. They don't accept the feelings they have. They deny them. Uh, and some people are totally oblivious to what they feel. They've been learned to block it all. And right. so uh, I can be very logical about, uh, let's say, drinking. I could say, well, I, I'll just change the situation and make a very intellectual thing. But it's, it's a gut punch. <laughs> it's a gut punch that says, I need to do something differently. And sometimes... People try to get somebody to change by talking intellect, and it doesn't work. When you no. say uh, to your spouse, "I'm going to leave if you don't if uh, you continue to drink the way you have," that's not a logic thing. No. That's because you can logically say, "Well, I don't want that person around anyway." But it's emotionally, right. I'm going to be left alone. I'm going to be in trouble. That's yep. when change really, uh, the gut punch is what makes change happen. So when you think about, you know, when your emotions are running high, and like, let's say you've, you've had um, a death in the family, mm -hmm. and you've lost somebody very close to you, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a, a son, daughter, what have you, and your emotions are running high, in my experience, it has been, you know, I, I've always been told, don't make decisions after a large major life event for at least six months. How do you respond to that? I think that makes a whole lot of, and if you can avoid, if, if you have an mm -hmm. option, because if you're so emotion laden, it's real hard to see things in 
uh, an objective light. See, I was talking right. about emotion, but really, ideally, we need to have access both to the intellect and the emotion. And so often, right. I'm sure you know people who are total logic. They don't. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't know an emotion if they tripped over it. Right. And then you know people who don't have a bit of logic. They're just all emotion. And they're only getting a part of the picture. What right. we have to do is work together. So when you have an, a really strong emotional thing, uh, like a death of someone close to you, it's real hard for you to access the intellect part in terms of basic right. things, basic decision making. Now, right. if you're one of these people who can very quickly move to use both, then you don't need six months. But, right. uh, you know, you may need longer if you're mm -hmm. so caught up in emotion. And that's what people find very difficult with somebody else who's mourning. Well, you should be over it by now. Uh-uh. Yeah. No. Yep. Well, and it's interesting, you, you, you briefly touched on it, is, is breaking out of that, I guess, emotional cycle. And when, when something bad happens, or, or any, I guess it doesn't even have to be bad, but any type of thing happens, we get into this reactionary cycle, and we start spinning our wheels, and we start right. trying to figure out, okay, right. I, something happened to me, so now I react in this way, and then that reaction causes somebody else to do something, and then when they react this way, it affects right. me. And the ability to, quote-unquote, see the forest through the trees really takes a lot of self-care to yes. identify what it is that you're going through. So if you're in a situation where you've lost a loved one, for instance, and you're just in a lot of grief, you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you've lost your pet and you don't know what you're going to do. The immediate reaction is to do something drastic. Maybe it's to... You know, go get really? a drink, or maybe it's to go right. buy the first dog you see. Maybe it's to, right. you know, whatever, whatever have you, whatever band aid yeah. you want to put on that situation. Right. Based on the, the emotion. ability, right. The ability to take yourself basically in the forest, getting on a helicopter and zooming out and to see the vast landscape of the forest. And then to say, okay, there, there I was in the middle of the forest only to realize that maybe 20 yards away was this beautiful clearing where you could see everything clearly. Right. You know, sometimes when we get in those emotional states and we're yeah, highly, absolutely. and I'm, I'm well, susceptible to this, when we're in that high emotional state, there's no way yeah. we can make a, a clear decision. And we just, we become purely reactionary, which is very yeah. difficult to make changes in. Well, the, the thing is we have to feel know ourselves well enough to say, wait a minute, I can't make a decision on that right now. I need some time right. to uh, to reconstitute. I think uh, an example of this, too, is that if someone has uh, had a trauma where they've lost their eyesight, mm -hmm. they can, can be uh, really prone to just flailing around because right. they you know, the emotions of this sudden loss and the loss not only of the sight, but of their own self-image 
and their ability to fend for themselves is frightening. Mm-hmm. And so, right. of course, uh, you know, they're going to be all over the place. And that's why we have to be, we, those around that person need to be uh, caring and kind mm-hmm. and sometimes have to be very direct and, you know, tell the person what to do because they're not really, they may not be in their right mind at that moment because of the trauma. Do you think that's more common with people who lose their sight in a very sudden traumatic way versus people who have kind of either dealt with it their whole life or his they're growing older or it's a gradual thing? Yeah, we're talking about a sudden onset. Right. Uh, There may be a reaction, but there are small pieces of it. The more, uh, you know, there's a shock when we realize, like with um, macular degeneration, or in my case, uh, uh, the uh, RP, retinitis pigmentosa, mm-hmm. where you discover, oh my God, I can't see, or I can't see as mm-hmm. much as I could, or you get the diagnosis that in some some foreseeable future, you're going to lose your eyesight. It is that, that jolt that you get, right. that change is coming. And mm-hmm. how do I adapt to the change? How do I mm-hmm. be sure that I'm able to survive or to be uh, the kind of person I want to be without this yeah. precious uh, this precious skill? Yeah. And it's an adjustment of your, uh, because your whole world has been shaken up. And that's a major change when, Things are, you know, are not what you thought they were. They're like a, a marriage, you find out that's not working, or, you know, spouse mm-hmm. comes to you, I want out, or, you know, any kind of sudden it, trauma. And trauma is part of trauma, is it's upsetting. It's, it's, uh, upsets the apple cart, so to speak. And we have to right. change our perception of our world. And that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, we've talked about, um, you know, identifying what a change could kind of be, uh, the ability to make the decision, the consequences of that decision or change, the, the good or bad. What's the light at the end of the tunnel? What's the, how far out do you say, okay, this is working, this is not working, and you know, learning to be okay with that. Well, and here's, and here's, uh, I have to talk as an individual rather than as a therapist. A lot depends uh, on our coping skills in general. Mm-hmm. A lot depends on who the people who are around us. Right. And a lot depends on what our perception of this, uh, uh, this event, what our perception mm. is, and how much control we have. Sure. And I know, I know one of the things that my mother had to deal with since I was hearing my sister, one of my sisters and I were hearing impaired, and she uh, used, would tell us, you can hear, you just need to try harder. 
Yep. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> On the yeah. plus side, it encouraged us, I believe, to keep on keep on trucking, as opposed to let's say a mother would say, "Oh, you poor babies, you can't hear, therefore you won't be able to do anything, and I'm going to have to take care of you for the rest right. of my life and take away yep. my aut autonomy." And she, in fact. Uh, was urged by the school district to put us in a school for the deaf, which mm. really would have been, I think she was right, in making a decision not to do that. She was encouraging us to make the most of whatever we had. And I think that that's, uh, that's difficult sometimes to, to tolerate because sometimes you get so tired of struggling all the time. But at the yep. same time, when you succeed, you know you've won a battle. So it's kind well, then, of back and forth in terms of how much you say, oh, you can do mm -hmm. this. Uh, unfortunately, I never wanted to drive an 18-wheeler. Uh, <laughs> I joke about it. But, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm going for that, uh, that's not going to work as a blind person. No, no. At least one hopes. Uh, no, right. But on the other hand, when you make some decisions that are within your reach or you remind yourself that your blindness, for example, is only a part of, of, of who you are and you have other senses that will take up some of the slack at least. And, some of, and, and you find other ways. It's, it's something the NFB, said, the National Federation for the Blind, says all the time. You can do whatever you want to do. You just need to do it differently. And that can be carried to extremes. But there's a, yeah. a, a kernel of truth in that in checking out the change that's occurred and then mm -hmm. not out of hand ruling anything else out. Just say, okay, right. can I do this? How can I do it? How, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the possibilities? And then encouraging yourself to try. Yeah. And the yeah. other it's, piece. It's all about asking. It's really all about asking that question. Yeah. Can That's I right. do this? Right. Do I want to do this? It's it's right. about asking, am I capable of yeah. changing something? You know, That's I heard right. a story. I heard a story. Um, uh, now I don't remember where it was, but this guy was terrified just absolutely out of his mind, terrified to leave his house. Mm -hmm. And so his therapist got on with him and said, okay, your, your task for this week is to go to the door and just open it. That's all. Mm -hmm. You just open the door. And then after, you know, a week or two of just being able to open the door, the therapist said, okay, for two seconds, take one step out and then come back inside. Right. You know, and he kept doing that over and over and over and over again. And, it got to the point where he was, oh, I remember it was uh, uh, America's Got Talent, <clears throat> and he was a comedian, and he was telling stand-up jokes. And so his therapist, he finally got out, and he was able to go to a comedy club that was a couple blocks down the street right. uh, after a couple months of therapy. And he started telling jokes, and he right. really loves these one-liners. And um, it was so cool to see those seemingly incredibly small changes that we tend to take for granted that for other people may be massive and crippling to some degree. 
And to be able to say, look, I have the power to make one small change, even if that means literally putting my right foot in front of my left, that's a change that I can do today. What you're talking about taking is allowing yourself to take baby steps. Yes. And breaking it down into small components so that you can try and see how it works for you. Yeah. And little bit or maybe uh maybe a step is to go with someone and do mm. something and have that person there just as a cheerleader uh someone who uh you know will you know be there this uh you know this conference i'm going to one of the reasons i'm going is because an old friend of mine is going to be there and he knows me yeah. and we share a lot and so even if I don't, you know, need him or need, yep. have any need for him to step in, just knowing that he's there will make it a lot more comfortable than if I were going to a conference where I knew nobody. Well, and that's a great way to kind of wrap it all up is going right back to the beginning. It's about the people who you surround yourself with, who you can trust. And if you've got that that group around you or even that one person that's going to be able to stand with you, that's going to be able to encourage you and support you regardless of what you're going through. They're not going to make you feel judged. They're going to make you feel safe. And I you've got the you. power to make a right. You're going to, you're going to have an infinitesimal amount of power to be right. able to make a change regardless of what it is. Right. There's a, uh, a book out. I'm sorry, I don't have the title. I'm, I've got to track it down. I was uh, heard it on uh, uh, one of the radio stations. But there's a study that was done by Harvard University, and they've been doing this study for 80 years. Wow. Uh, multi, multi-generational study to define what, what uh, causes or uh, allows someone to be happy. What is happiness? And, you know, they, they looked into financial and everything else. What they said, the one thing that is uh, above everything else is relationships. I believe and it. it does, I don't doubt that for a second. Yeah, well, but relationship doesn't necessarily mean knowing thousands of people. It is individual on what relationships yep. make you happy. But I think it relates to what we're talking about in terms of putting ourselves out there. If we have relationships with people that we know that will be there for us, then the anxiety goes down, the uh, the confidence goes up, we can feel comfortable, and we don't have to be ashamed of the fact that we're feeling better because somebody we know is going to be around. It's just part of the learning process for us to learn how to be, how to be happy, how to be uh, successful in whatever it is that we set out to do. Not to have the person do for us, because that can, you know, uh, unless it's an agreement that, yeah, this is what I need you, I need you to do this. But when somebody takes over and does something for us, that doesn't help. But when someone is there just to allow us to try, that makes all the difference in the world. We have to make it clear to people. 
that yeah, maybe I'll fall. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll get, mm -hmm. you know, highly anxious, but I've got to go through that to get to the other side. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll be happier for it. And, you know, it's just that's true. Yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of a delicate balance between helping and and hurting by taking away our autonomy. And it had to be worked out with every situation, it had to be worked out with every person that we're uh that we're with. And so that mm -hmm. we can feel we can feel more and more confident. I know that with the conference, I know that at the end of it, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about future conferences because I've, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I'm going is right. be because I need to get back into the world after all this time hiding out from the pandemic. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be hard. And, you know, I know you're a big theater buff and, you know, even making those changes is getting back into the theater and getting back into conferences and, right, you know, right. like getting what you're saying, those, <clears throat> those relational things, man, I tell you what, the just like the sun, we need the relationships. We yeah. need those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and we can express gratitude, those of us who are being helped, Get all we needed to express gratitude to the person for helping us. Yep. And saying, okay, could they feel good? You feel good. And progress is made because this is what we're talking about being able to move forward. And we can look back, like Janice, we can look back to where we've been to give us an indication of how much we've improved. And we have to be real careful that we don't look at what we can't do. We right. need to be coming back to what you were saying about positive, looking at what we can do versus what we can't do. Yeah. Yep. Bill, my mind is tired. <laughs> 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 it's time for me to change from my waking state to my napping state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So we've had a chance to talk about change, so we will change by closing this program. This was Bill Lundgren with Jonathan Price, uh, your uh, co-creator of today's program. We hope that you've gotten some information, some help from what we've been sharing about what I'd like you, the audience, to consider, if you have uh, some comments to make, suggestions, whatever, we would certainly welcome to an email or a letter, snail mail, some people still do snail mail, uh, to let us know. And maybe we can incorporate some of your ideas in future shows. Absolutely. This is Bill Lundgren signing off. Uh, have a great week week.